Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we will take a look at some of the fallout from the trade deadline with a focus on the bats. We'll also talk a little bit about the failed signing of Kumar Rocker by the New York Metropolitans, and also a bit about the luxury tax system in Major League Baseball. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? Hey, Matt. I'm not doing too bad today. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. What's uh, one awesome thing that happened to you today? Um, Today? An awesome thing? Okay. That... How about okay. an awesome thing that's happened to you since the last time we spoke? <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll I mean, widen it up for you. I was I was about to tell you about this great beer that I got that has gnomes on the label. Uh, the okay. That Beyond the me. Gnome World Saison from uh, okay. Silver Branch Brewing. Um. I just the fact that I can we're buy not beer sponsored with gnomes. by the way no <laughs> just just to throw that out there <laughs> yeah no but, but gnomes and it's a saison I, I'm having a, I'm having a great week what can I say but yeah no a lot of work so um yeah I don't know how about yourself uh, I think you said pre-show that it's been like basically Saturday for you for a long time <laughs> yeah it really has some version of Saturday um lots of golf uh hanging out uh, I've got a neighbor who's who's redoing his deck uh, pitching in a little bit there not much not much yet, but uh, I'll, be, I'll be helping him out. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the school year ending. And, um, you know, I, a lot of teachers will take on summer gigs with the little kids running around in my house. It, it makes way more sense for me to stay home. Uh, so, yeah, every day is kind of a different version of Saturday. Although I will, I'll back this up for just a second and talk about uh, this this weird thing. I had a, an exchange with uh, um, somebody on Twitter, uh, Dave Mendelson, um, also a teacher. And uh, it's funny, he was talking about how August is like Sunday, and I've always felt like like summer vacation is kind of a, a weekend, like fr- uh, 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 whatever's left in June is like Friday night, right? You're done with the week, you got yeah. a little extra time. July is like Saturday, and August is like Sunday, and the later you get in August, the more you get that like Sunday afternoon, like, oh boy, here it comes feeling, so... It's kind of a kind of a funny way of looking at things, and obviously for all of you out there who don't get that kind of time off, I'm sure you do not feel bad for me at all. So, and that's fair; that's totally fine. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a good summer so far. Looking forward to the last few weeks of it, and then uh, getting back into the trenches and, and getting some work done with the kids again. That will be great. Uh, we did have something happen; a pretty big thing happened since the last time we we kind of uh, did one of these and and spoke to our our listeners, and that's the what, what, the. Uh, the uh, uh, trade deadline oh, came and yeah. went. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard about that. There was some stuff that happened and some players that moved. Uh, we will get to that very, very quickly in this episode. We're going to start uh, our number of the week is going to be all about that. And, and the rest of the episode, really kind of the fallout for hitters, kind of like what we did last last week with uh, the impact of relievers and, and arms moving impact arms moving uh same thing here with with hitters and batters uh before we do all that i want to start with this question though what are your thoughts on mookie betts second baseman for the los angeles dodgers (laughs) man it's uh it's been a really weird ride for the entirety of that um dodgers lineup i feel like around the deadline prior to the deadline probably after the deadline Um, yeah you know of all of the people to throw at second, it feels a little bit strange for him, but also like Gavin Lux is on the IL and I guess, okay, I'll, I'll get, I'll get to the chase about what I kind of think is actually going on here. We, we saw this last year. Um, he mm-hmm. played a handful of games and it was about this time of year, like in the, in the year for them in the 60 game season, if that yeah, makes right, sense. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, um, 
basically what it was is it was just the Dodgers trying to see what would happen in an emergency for the playoffs if they had to slide someone over, if they'd test out a different situation. And lo and behold, he moved back. This is a perfect time for them to try that out with uh, Trey Turner still on his way to playing for the team. He's, I believe, still hiding on the COVID IL. Hiding is the wrong word, but also kind of the <laughs> right word. They haven't seen him yet. Where is he? Yeah. Um, I hope he's all right. The Dodgers in particular having the... Um, the other Turner, if you will, Justin Turner, um, kind of leave the field during their World Series celebrations because of his own positive COVID test uh, yeah, yeah. was not the best moment for the MLB. And I uh, I do really want to make sure that isn't a thing that they have to contend with again. Yeah, so, hopefully not. Uh, there there certainly is some, some movement with uh, these new variants. I, I really hope that baseball is able to get through the end of the season and through their playoffs so that that kind of... That kind of thing happening again, yeah. So, um, but like my my opinion, baseball side first is that this yes. is just them playing around, and he'll he's on his third game now. Um, today we're recording Wednesday night. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, viewers or listeners, y'all aren't. I mean, y'all can look at our logo, I guess, if you really want to. <laughs> um, yeah, listeners who are like checking us out uh, Friday afternoon or so, maybe Friday morning, you might have a clue as to whether or not he's going to get the requisite five starts in Yahoo. <laughs> um, I don't think anyone's making some like earth-shattering Yahoo trades to really change the outcome of their life and featuring Mookie bats, but uh, it will be right. nice for him to be able to slot in there. I don't yeah, personally I'm, think he's going to get to the 10 that would be required for him to get like Yahoo eligibility there, but we'll see. ESPN, ESPN, yeah, yeah. Wait, no, no, I mean for next year. Oh, for next year. Okay, you're t- I thought you were talking about for ESPN uh, for this year, this which year. is 10. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I want to say, though, um, if that happens, or if we get close to that, if he gets to like seven or eight, and um, he, there there's like a cusp where he might be eligible in Yahoo leagues, people are going to, mm-hmm. I think, really, really start to churn out the think pieces and really, really take, take a deep look at like, oh, my God, how valuable, how high should we drafting Mookie Betts to be the second baseman next year? You remember uh, when Altuve was uh, mm-hmm. like uh, the, the co-first pick with uh, Trout all those years ago? I don't yeah. think we'll get there. <laughs> but people are going to lose their minds, I think, a little bit. And yeah. Up, like yeah. five or six places on their board. And, and uh, I don't know. Are, are you someone who routinely reaches for a second baseman or panics for like those like hard to fill positions on draft day? I try hard not to. Um, but like I myself do as well. I do think that there is certainly value. I, I think one of the things that happens every single year is uh, you really find out how valuable those people with multi-eligibility are. So maybe it's not even just that he's getting second base eligibility, which I do think is a big deal. Maybe not quite the the uh, huge increase in value that some people might might wind up saying, uh, but it's also that he would ha- be second base and outfield. So that gives you now uh, three places in your lineup that you can move him around as opposed to one or two, um, or actually four if you count utility. So I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a big deal because that way when you know you got Mookie in your outfield it could, because you drafted a second baseman. Um, and the second baseman gets hurt. The second baseman stinks. I mean, you, he, you slot him in or you draft him as your second baseman and you're good. You don't have to think about that position later on. So, um, I do believe there is value there. I don't know if it's going to be the, the kind of impact that people will be talking about if it comes to mm-hmm. fruition. Um, the other thing to remember with this situation and then putting him at second is he came up as a second baseman. 
Uh, so this is not like brand new territory. I'm, I'm obviously oh, yeah. the major yeah, league yeah. level wise. versus like, you know, single A, double A um, isn't, isn't the same thing. Um, but it, this isn't like completely new territory for him. So there is the possibility on a team like the Dodgers that like to move things around that if it works, that um, if he doesn't get it this year, it might be something they do enough next year to make things work. If it doesn't affect his offense, that that's something that could come around. It's definitely something to keep your eye on because it's not mm-hmm. it's not like mm-hmm. they're just sticking him somewhere and hoping and crossing their fingers. He has some skill and some ability and some talent and some experience there as well. So, you know, if he's second base eligible next year in any of these leagues, I definitely think that's worth considering. I don't think it's worth overpaying for. And I think people will disagree on what's a what's fair market value for him uh, if he does wind up with that second base eligibility. Yeah, you know, as someone who's played around, like trying to do a little bit more than just recreating like the Fangraphs auction calculator. You know, someone who's actually like thought about like what does it mean to replace someone? What does a positional adjustment? What does positional value mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the like collective panics every year always uh, make me chuckle because I think it's all rooted in this like big belief that you can't be below average anywhere ever so if your team's starting second baseman in like a 12 team league for example is like the ninth or 10th best that's a big problem in the minds of people you know it's like in order to win you have to be good at everything well the reality is that somebody's starting second baseman has to be below average in fact half of the teams do that's just how it works yeah right right Um, and i think that the sort of like panic of oh my god if i don't get uh throw through the darts if you will this year uh Kevin Biggio is the one I'm being rude about but you know if you didn't get Brandon Lau this year if you didn't get <laughs> yeah oh my god Biggio is not even the worst of these uh you know if you didn't get Keston Hira if you I guess Ozzy Albies is kind of paid out but he was drafted really high yeah. and the reality is that if people aren't that good they aren't that good regardless of position uh and there are plenty of guys who went sort of late who are second base eligible who've been just fine or better um and I tend to think that we overestimate um how much you should push someone up aboard at the top end when the reality is that positional value is all about the relationship to someone's talent uh, compared to like the bottom end. Um, Think about it this way. Um, How good you are as like an advantage is really pretty much related to like the waiver wire because that's $1. Um, Right, right, right. right. This is a concept that I think points leaks players use a lot, which is like points above mm -hmm, replacement. mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, Well, the same thing happens in Roto. We just don't pay attention to it. We don't. Yeah, we don't quantify it the same way. I think that makes sense. I think um, maybe a better way of looking at these types of things isn't just looking at that one player or that one spot in isolation. But if I zig here, then I have to zag there. What does that two player or that three player package wind Mm -hmm, up looking mm -hmm, like? um, That's where I think you can really get a a better idea of what you're sacrificing. And, um, you know, if you can this year, if you had had waited on second base and you grabbed Adam Frazier (laughs) at the end of your draft, (laughs) you're doing really well. And those sorts of things happen. I, I know it's, it's one of those things you can't really plan for, right? Who nobody knows who the next Adam Frazier is going to be. That's the nature of somebody who kind of just rises to the top. Um, but those opportunities are there. And to your point, they're there on the waiver wire every single year. If you're diligent um, or, or you're savvy, and even if you're in a fob league where it's not like first come first serve, which is probably a better way of doing it, right? Fob is yeah, is, is definitely a, a more fair way of doing it. Uh, there's still strategy involved in how much you spend and and how much those dollars impact your team over the course of the year. So the more you spend early, the more of an impact there are on those dollars if you've spent them wisely. Uh, I think Vlad talked a little bit about that. Vlad Sedler when we had him oh, yeah. on. Oh yeah. 
Uh, so, you know, there's a, there is a lot of moving parts to this. I do, I do think that there is also value, even if it's non numerical value to, I have second base filled with a guy who's awesome. Like I would be oh, yeah. drafting Mookie bets, uh, uh, you know, at the top of my draft anyway, if I'm, if you're not, if you're talking about whether you take him fourth or he goes ninth, that's just a matter of whether you want to make sure he's on your team because you're not going to get the cheese. He's not coming back. Yeah, so honestly, you're, you're right about that. I, yeah. I think the question on like a micro level, do I want this guy? Is it kind of different from like the macro level? If we all make that same decision, then someone is actually perceived as more valuable. And that's kind of like a weird right. trend to think about. You know, at the end of the day, I, I don't really care that much about um, <laughs> a bunch of people who want to waste some money in like NFBC gambling, essentially. Um, I mean, a lot of those people that I follow that I think are interesting are interesting people. And that yeah, is their yeah, hobby. Right. Uh, and that is their way of looking at fantasy baseball. But the actual ADP is kind of like trivial at the end of the day compared to just like the fun that we can have along the way kind of making jokes about it so yeah i mean that that sounds like hearted but like at the end of the day like i'm not spending that money so it doesn't trouble me that much where i think this can get a little bit funny though is if you're sitting i don't know maybe you're sitting in a dynasty league and um mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> do you have any dynasty shares of monkey bets <laughs> i don't no <laughs> yeah no me either um you know i'm really interested to see some sort of authors that might roll in for like yahoo based dynasty if he picks up an additional eligibility for next year and suddenly like people are like freaking out or more likely when he gets one or two starts away from picking up that additional eligibility mm. yeah so anyway although in um, dynasty leagues yeah. you also have savvy players who know that it's likely going to mm, be mm-hmm. a one and done anyway so yeah, i don't know yeah, it's, yeah. it's very interesting i am curious as to how this plays out i'm curious as to the narratives involved and uh um, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting situation, but it, it, Mookie Betts is such a great dynamic player anyway, that it's yeah. splitting hairs a bit. It, this would maybe be more of a discussion with somebody who's more mid-level. I'm trying to think of a name and it's not, it's not coming to my Do head. Do not but... by any means say Jake Cronenworth. He is not mid-level. <laughs> you are not allowed to bring him. Yeah, that's, no, that's I'm waiting for guy. his starting pitcher eligibility. That's what oh, I want. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the other thing really is just like we get to see Mookie Betts do crazy things we don't get to normally see, and that's really cool. Like, did you see the play he made where he was like shifted over to the left side of yeah, second base? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he like made a catch in left field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's really good at right. baseball, and it's he's, fun a, to he's watch. an incredibly athletic person. He's a fantastic bowler. I mean, like he's pro level as a bowler <laughs> too. So I don't know yeah. what can Mookie Betts not do. One of the one of the coolest things that I got to Let do after. Yeah, well, he probably can. Um, is after the Sox won the World Series um, in uh, uh, 2018, I went to the parade and uh, you know watching like Chris Sale come by and, and Mookie Betts. I was those are a couple of of the. Uh, it was a highlight. It really was. It was cool. Uh, Mookie seems like a pretty awesome guy. Uh, he, so he's either genuinely a good dude or he's savvy enough to know he's got to do a really good job of pretending to be a genuinely good dude. And I really think it's the former and not the latter. So um, I'm happy for him. I wish he was still in Boston, obviously, but I'm happy for him. And and, uh, he's an exciting and fun player to watch. That's that's for sure. Uh, Let's move into our number of the week. And I'm going to hit you with this. It's uh, a 100. No, 300. Yeah, yeah, from Mookie Betts. (laughs) Mookie Betts is bowling average. Now, that would be a pretty amazing average. Um, No, it's 158. Do you do you want to posit a guess, or did you already see what this is? What the what the uh, number is? 
I did, so I'm going to give my favorite possible wrong answer uh, okay. to this. Um, this is um, the number of different fake tweets about um, Max Scherzer going to the Padres that almost happened, I imagine, <laughs> uh, that Bob probably, Nightingale almost retweeted. Uh, probably, well, I mean, once you get something on social media, right? I mean, you're counting each individual occurrence. I think it probably blew way past 158. Uh, really quickly. No, that's oh, that's I pretty mean, funny. That, that that like got national reporters to follow. Yeah, that was the thing that, that kept happening to... though. If you guys yeah. were like sitting on Twitter at the deadline, the number of like national reporters who would like basically say like sources say person going to team, and really all they'd be doing is they'd just be like stealing someone else's tweet that they saw. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, like, and these aren't like good reporters. You know, it's it's weird. Like I, I don't know. Do, do you follow? We've talked about basketball, but like. Waj and Shams um, in basketball uh, are like the the two big guys there, and they don't break things that aren't real. And yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think quite it, in this day and age, as like the norm. Yeah, in this day and age, though, I think that um, if you're going to be that that person where your reputation matters more, and I think that's awesome, I really do. Um, you have to be willing to be scooped a lot because there's just so mm-hmm, many people mm-hmm. on the trigger finger, and that's why you get so much of this false reporting is. There's just so much pressure and it's a medium where anybody can self-publish as often as they want every single day. Um, And you're going to get stuff like that. You know, Um, uh, it's, it's frustrating, but I I think it has way more to do with, with the way we consume news these days than it has to do with anything else. Do, Do you remember the like 30 seconds or so there where Chris Bryant was going to the giants for Joey Bart and Lamonte Wade? Yeah, yep. <laughs> I do. I remember until all he of wasn't. <laughs> yeah, until he wasn't. Um, yeah, I, I, what, I, what do we do about it? You know, I, um, I think I, I it's, just laugh. It's not that yeah, big a deal. It's, it, it's kudos to the guys who make sure that their stuff is accurate and right, and um, their uh, reporters' integrity is intact. And um, I understand why people are quick, quick to report something that they see, whether it's real or fake, or especially since there's so many people out there and doing it intentionally, like trying to to bait people into it. Um, You know, they want to be the first and that's the price you pay, I guess sometimes is looking pretty silly. And then of course there's the people who always do silly things and get caught in the the easy traps because that's just kind of how they do business. But uh, the number 158 uh, was actually the number of players moved at the deadline this year. 158 players is a new record. Um, it blew away the old record, which was 128 players moved at a, a trade deadline. So I guess my question here is, was this the best trade deadline ever? I Okay, so I want to like come out hot with a take that um, I don't <laughs> fully believe, but okay. that I've heard from some smart people, which is that trades are bad, actually. Um Okay. Yeah. Um, let's let's my, peel the layers of that onion. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I think like the thought there is, uh, and to be clear, I'm kind of cribbing this from Andrew Perpetua, um, who is kind of like the perpetual friend of the whoever. Perpetual. He's a, he's a, I get it. I see what you uh, did there. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a uh, he's he's quite active uh, in the PL Discord and is yes, also kind absolutely. of notably uh, like worked for the Mets and done yep. really, really cool data visualization, data modeling thing, created XDATs, done more than anything that I've done. Um, and one of his takes I, I heard from him is that trades are bad um, because typically they come um, because teams are either like in a position where they're like forced to do things for the fans or like kind of desperate or, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
taking advantage of teams who are forced to do things that are desperate. There aren't a whole lot sure. of win win right? Win win trades. Um, and uh, <laughs> Elmar Fudd for a moment there. Win win trades. Yes, <laughs> obviously Andrews. Uh, let's jump right into like the the trade that they made uh, for Javi Baez, uh, which I think is yeah. one of the more surprising ones. I want to kind of just like make sure that we're talking today, not in hypothetical success. Today is not hypothetical. We are. Yeah, right. Uh, we're doing some real stuff. Um, he was definitely on the side here. This is an example of a team who felt like they needed to do something to show the fans that they want to win their division and be competitive. And so they went out and they traded their top prospect, a like very high outfield yeah. draft pick from high school um, for Javi Baez, who is really cool and does a lot of really cool things. And it's mm-hmm. so much fun to watch and has been basically a league average baseball player, uh, right, in spite of being right. really fun and cool. Um, that is one kind of shocking i think if you kind of like go from like the highlights to actual like quality of play like for most people don't realize that javi Baez strikes out as often as he does barely gets on base like we're talking like a sub 300 on base percentage mm, um yeah so not is the, he good not great he, he's probably he's pretty good i guess is he needs to get a 200 million dollar extension and needs to be traded as an expiring player for your top overall prospect good nowhere near that close uh right so right. when you see the tra- trade deadline and I don't know if I fully support this view, but I want to make sure we can see the other side of it before we dive into like our actual kind of giddy for how yeah, sure. cool this is. Multiple is, perspectives is always a good thing. Is like this entire thing exists because like, um, you know, some teams are willing to just kind of like, you know, give up, I guess. And in the process, there are a lot of really, really strange deals that happen. You know, mm-hmm. it's wild to think that bios went for more in terms of like prospect value then I would say like the more valuable teammates in terms of actual play went for, I, I would say that yeah. he was sold off for more than Bryant returned. He was sold off for more than Anthony Rizzo returned. Um, so I just want to say like, there definitely can be room for that view where a lot of this is just like teams making bad decisions. And should we be celebrating a lot of bad decisions? So let me ask you this before we, I, I ask you to kind of go to the other side of this. Um, now that we've we've expressed or explored the the Debbie Downer side of it, uh, I do want to talk about what makes it exciting because I really do think it was a very exciting trade deadline. Uh, but if the undercurrent is that trades are generally another example of like that business of baseball that's not great for the game itself or the players themselves, is that what what kind of the undercurrent is here? I'm I'm trying to wrap my head. Oh, around I think it. it's it's a little bit different than like business of baseball. It's more just like the people who do the business of baseball aren't always good at their jobs. Um, okay, and like there's a lot of armchair analysting there that goes on, but the reality is like. How many trades do we look back on and be like, oh, yeah, that definitely worked out for both teams. One team got their ring now and the other team got their ring later as a result of it. You know, most trades, it's like you look back and things went bad. Um, it's it's funny to think uh, for the White Sox, you know, there's there's James Shields slash, I guess, also Fernando Tatis okay. trades that they pulled off. But also, do you remember how they acquired Jose Quintana? No, no, I do not. Um, they got rid of him. I sorry. They got Eloy Jimenez for dealing off an overpaid and not all that good Jose Quintana. Mm-hmm. Um, like they have been part of some very strange trades. Some which have been like good, actually. I I would say. Um, I know that. Um, I'm trying to recall. They their Chris trade or their Chris Sale trade. It seemed like kind of helped out both teams. Mm-hmm. They got some yeah. real prospects back, which they have not paid a whole lot of money to play baseball and uh yeah. chris sale has been injured uh recently 
Uh, yeah, but he uh, also but, but Chris helped sailed, the Red yeah, Sox win a exactly. ring. <laughs> right, exactly so. what I was going to say. So I guess my, my question was, a lot of these trades do seem to involve uh, cash or, or teams taking mm-hmm. on money. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there is definitely that business of baseball. Like the trade might not be great for the team in terms of like, did it eventually help them win? But it might have been great for the bottom line, which we've talked about a lot, right? Moves that like the Lindor trade uh, last uh, last Actually, year. So I want to bring up a little bit of a different uh, perspective on those as well. Um, sure. I want to take a look at like the Joey Gallo trade. Um, okay. And also the Rangers doing business with the Yankees earlier this year, the, the Rignet Odor trade. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much money uh, the Yankees are going to pay Gallo and Rignet Odor this year? Uh, I'm going to guess because I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing by the tone in your voice, it's going to be somewhere near, near league minimum. Yes. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Rangers are bad this year. Um, uh-huh. The Rangers need to acquire talent as fast as they can. And in other sports, one of the ways you attire, or you acquire talent as fast <laughs> as you can is you pay money for it. Um, in the NBA, there's a salary cap mm-hmm. and there's a salary minimum. And if you're bad, one of the ways you can get better is to acquire bad contracts and picks at the same time in, in exchange for basically nothing. Um, they'll have yeah, these like right, right. infinitely protected second round picks that get swapped that just like nothing ever happens. And basically it's like, hey, you give us your draft pick later and we'll eat that bad contract, allowing you to sign a free agent and be better now. Right. Baseball right, hasn't right. been doing that for some reason. Uh, I think it's because teams have been penny pinching. The Rangers are the only team, though, that's been doing that. There were mm-hmm. rumors the Padres were going to do that from the other side with Hosmer. They ended up not doing it, but it went kind of cool. Um but yeah, no, the Rangers are basically paying the entire salaries this year of Rudgen de Ordor and Joey Gallo for the Yankees in exchange for more prospect help than they otherwise would have got. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting and I think good for baseball thing Okay, when teams that are bad are willing to take on additional salary commitment, even if that means just paying for someone who used to be on your team. Um, Atlanta did a whole lot of this during their quick rebuild a couple of years ago. Uh, and that was one of the reasons that they were able to acquire as much talent as they have that they've been able to like call up in the past few years. It hasn't all hit for them, but it's been really encouraging. Right. Because right. like if all you're going to do is be really bad at baseball and try to draft, that's not enough. That will not win you a World Series. Um, the Houston Astros acquired a lot of their talent through other means. Their high draft picks have not by and large been the reason why they've been super successful. I mean, there's been a few of them that have been really good, but like, you know, Altuve was not a first rounder. Um, and yeah, a lot yeah. of their pitching has been kind of like diamond in the rough, excellent scouting and excellent development. Good teams develop talent through lots of other means than just draft picks and that you make. And it's encouraging to see the Rangers as like showing off that they're going to be part of that next wave that's doing the right thing. Uh, so I want to say, like, by and large, the business of baseball direction that we saw at this deadline was mostly teams recognizing where they were not standing pat but also doing financial things that make sure that like the maximum num- like amount of money that can be spent on player salaries is basically being spent uh, okay rather than bad teams being cheap bad teams are taking on money for prospects that is good okay i i, I that makes sense to me um let's let's talk about just the the movement in general before we start to get into the impact of where where some of these players went um, let's forget all of that element, like the money and the, is this, uh, you know, a weird trade is uh, all of that. And just talk about what was the most exciting part of this for you? Uh, were you looking forward to uh, the Nationals 
trading away a bunch of talent and seeing what they got back? Were you uh, excited to see what the Cubs were going to do? Were you hoping that that uh, you know the Orioles were going to acquire somebody or or sell somebody? <laughs> like what what was it that or or was it just kind of like I'm, I'm a casual observer of this? moment and uh even though there was a flurry of activity it was just kind of like oh interesting i was a very passionate neutral uh which is actually <laughs> how most of my baseball goes um i feel like i really only have the bandwidth to devote myself like fully to a handful of teams and a handful of sports at a time and mm-hmm. baseball a lot of like the bandwidth i give is actually just kind of like watching the sport as a whole because i do not have to devote that to the orioles all of the time now it's really cool when they do cool things um like you know the days when john means pitches or yeah. the at bats where a baseball goes out of the park those are not all of the times they're playing baseball though and Correct. i do not pretend they are because the reality is their window isn't open and we're just hoping that a lot of guys in double a get better so what am i doing when I'm watching baseball, I'm watching other dudes that I love. Um, I feel like like we can have like a whole like half hour discussion of like people who are kind of my age being more like highlight and single player fans. Mm. Uh, and it's weird to kind of like recognize it. Ah, I'm kind of one of them. Um, but yeah, the way I kind of consumed a lot of this deadline was just refreshing Twitter and hoping that players who are talented enough to, to deserve to be on the biggest stages, to be on playoff contenders, to have the spotlight on them got that opportunity um okay so i was sitting there really waiting for that trevor story trade that never happened and yeah, uh, yeah, then being really upset okay. when it didn't happen all right ah, that makes some sense for me uh to me i should say for me <laughs> um no matter what happens at every trade deadline i am always looking to see what move the red Sox are going to make um and sometimes it's disappointing when they don't make a big splashy move like this year you know they picked up shoreburn and, and uh they didn't really do anything super high profile. And, and in the scheme of what you were talking about in terms of team building, that probably is the best move because it did seem like talent was very expensive at this trade deadline. Uh, and, and it was a price they weren't willing to pay. Um, or, you know, maybe that's their, their company line and they didn't have the, the assets to be able to match the other offers, which is also possible. Um, but I, I can't help it. Every year, I'm always so excited to see what they're going to do, or, or you know. And when they don't, it's always a little disappointing, even if even if it shouldn't be. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's it's that way, but it does kind of feel like you know something splashy is going to happen. And I wonder if it's going to be for the Sox. I did think that like the the Scherzer Turner move that was really interesting and intriguing. Watching mm-hmm, the Cubs mm-hmm. kind of blow up their team was very interesting to me. Um, and then I think that the the other piece of this is, and what we're going to kind of move into here, so this is maybe a great segue, is what those changes mean for those players, not only the ones being moved, the prospects being moved, the opportunities, the roles, but also how it impacts people who are on the teams already. A lot of times, you know, you'll see, uh, like I think Marcus Stroman was all about, you know, when they announced the Javi Baez deal, he was super psyched oh, and, yeah. and stoked, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's somebody in a clubhouse, and it might not be, relevant to our discussions in terms of fantasy and that sort of a thing. But there's somebody in a clubhouse who probably is like, "Mm, that's not great news for me that that guy is coming here in terms of playing time or opportunity or role or, or spot in the lineup even. So um, I don't know the, the, the dynamics of all of that movement and that flurry of activity 
uh, really seems to be interesting to me. And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this because I'm not as big into the, the NBA, um, but I don't think that there are any other sports that have this kind of intense flurry of player movement. Hockey, to a certain degree. I, I, I would say the- basketball is the only one where it's exactly the same. And basketball's free agency happening at like the exact same time as baseball's trade deadline was. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I know though. there's a lot of player football, movement in the no. NBA, but hockey, yeah, no. football very little. Hockey sometimes. That's a lot of more of the off season stuff. Um, and uh, even in the NBA, is it? Is it? And this is a totally it's more free agency question. than the than it is during the middle of the season. In season, right? Yeah, yeah. So more player movement in the NBA, but less of this. Like your team could be significantly different within a 24 hour period. I mean, if you look at the the teams that the Cubs and the Nationals fielded the day after the deadline, it's <laughs> it's yeah, uh, it's completely different. So I, I don't know. I think that there's something. It's almost like a childhood joy, like a Christmas thing that it's I, I look forward to it every single year it probably never lives up to the hype or the expectation uh now that i'm a, a full-fledged grown-up uh but there's that that little childlike joy inside me that's always like ooh, something cool is going to happen so um it is interesting that we have those kind of two different two different mm-hmm. uh outlooks yeah. on it yeah I, I would say like it's was really weird to check out the nationals lineup right afterwards um yeah i've been to more than a few games where i did not know a lot of the players who have been starting um for the orioles also a couple for the mm-hmm. nationals this year and um you know also just like al east teams that have showed up to play the nationals there have been some really strange rotated phillies teams that i've seen come through town um mm-hmm. uh, and you know i get into a couple of games uh the very last week of the 2019 regular season when like everything was wrapped up and Boy, I could not tell you who some of those players were. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a whole different thing, I think, for the NBA, where it's like all that movement happens midseason when the tickets aren't necessarily on sale yet, where you don't know who's going to show up. Actually, I want to push back. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to push back on like one other um, thing that you said um, earlier on about like the price being really high. And this is actually another discussion I had with Andrew Perpetua and that, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about it more and more, it makes a lot of sense. Um the prices that teams pay aren't exclusively just about how good a player is. Correct. It's also about yep. their history of negotiation. Uh, I want to bring up the Mets here because this kind of like puts a bow on what we talked about before and we'll be able to get into like some of these players in particular. But yep. they have a history of giving up a lot. And yeah. if you go to the negotiation table and you are trying to sell them your player, you're going to ask for a lot. If your team has right. a track record of not overpaying, that same sort of like expectation carries over. Um, the soccer team I'm a fan of, uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Please, someone give him attention to make fun of me for that. Um, <laughs> their chairman of their board, essentially the guy who like runs all of their transfer stuff, mm-hmm. it has a notate like a notorious reputation for being one of the most hard nosed and difficult negotiators in professional sports anywhere. And wow. it. It doesn't always mean good things. It means there's a lot yeah. of like moves that we miss out on, but it does mean that we don't overpay for players for the most part. And sure. we have put together a lot of the moves we have put together have been pretty good business. Um, whereas if you're, I'm sure you've heard of Manchester United. Uh, um, yes. Mm-hmm. They have a reputation of the opposite of being fo- folders who will overpay. And okay. it was definitely interesting to kind of connect that reputation stuff, which is clear as day in European soccer back to American baseball. Uh, where you know, there's not money prices to pay, but the prospect prices are still 
steep if you're willing to overpay frequently. Right. So, you know, there's definitely some sort of like, we didn't want to pay the prices that were quoted to us, but those are determined by the decisions you make in the past. If you are not good at trading, teams will take advantage of you again in the future. Right. Absolutely. That's part of what's going on as well. There were some trades where you saw the players and you were like, oh my God, how did they only get that for them? And this other trade went down and then the money starts to come in, right? Although this team is eating that contract and, and it makes a lot more sense than that the player talent is, is sometimes balanced out by, by the cash considerations or the, the contract um, uh, being taken on, stuff like that. So there is there is definitely more than just the players. But overall, I would say that this trade deadline, if you were, if you, it, was a, it was a seller's market, I think. Oh, I think the teams sure. that sure sold did really, really well for themselves in most search, uh, circumstances. So yeah, I um, agree. Yeah, that that was really the point I was trying to make. But I, I, I do think it's very interesting what you're talking about. The, the economics behind all of these things is not as simple as oftentimes we want it to be when we're talking about trades and you know what our team did or what another team did and looking at just the personnel there's definitely a lot more going on and uh, you make an excellent point in terms of like a track record matters for sure um all right let's move into talking about some specific people and some specific circumstances that changed as a result of this deadline and uh i'm just going to throw out a couple of questions uh that can hang in the ether for a moment and then you can kind of take that in whatever direction you want with whatever player you want and i think we'll circle back to to kind of covering these as as we have this discussion but the things to consider here like what impact does the new role have I'm moving like Trey Turner comes back to the off the the COVID list and is playing second base instead of playing shortstop. Um, is that going to be something that impacts his ability to play offensively? How does he fit into that lineup? Who is he displacing? Um, the spot in the batting order may change. The talent around that player might be greater. Maybe that takes pressure off, or maybe there's somebody who thrives with being in the spotlight. Um, and then things like park factors, personalities, different managers, different styles, uh, and then the people on the team, right, who might be displaced or, or, or moved around. Somebody who maybe the Trey Turner comes in and steals somebody's spot in the lineup so that Trey's comfortable, but that other person now has to make the adjustments. So uh, a lot to kind of think about, a lot of moving parts there, and a lot of people that we can discuss to try and answer some of those broad questions. Uh, and you can go ahead and start with whoever you would like. Is it whom? With whomever? Whomever? Yeah, yeah. I um, think it is whomever you, you yeah, would it like. Yeah, it would be whomever yeah. because they would be the object. And right, whom direct is object, the ob- yes. Yeah, it's an object pronoun. Yeah. Did you know that I also teach the writing and reading uh, portion yes, of the I SAT? Yes, intelli- I remember you saying that. That's why I posed <laughs> that to you. And to show off that you're, you, you're not just one, one side of your brain. Yeah, one yeah, yeah. Brain I can sided. do many things poorly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, I want to talk about Anthony Rizzo, uh, who has, by the way, been talked about quite a bit and has had a great start to his Yankees career, unlike all of the rest of the Yankees who've been playing around Anthony Rizzo during his brief time there. I think there was a <laughs> stat that went around and he was like, he had, you know, like, basically been batting 500 through a couple of games and, like, his teammates were batting at 100 in those same yeah, couple yeah, of yeah. games and... You know, I take a lot of pleasure from seeing the Yankees fall apart, even when it's just like clicking onto the Red Sox um, roster resource page and realizing that Adam Onovino and Garrett Wicklock were both acquisitions from the Yankees this offseason. Just want to see if I can rub some salt in some wounds because <laughs> I'm having a great day. Um, but yeah, I'm actually really happy to see Ad- Anthony Rizzo uh, succeeding there. And he's a really interesting case in like how park factors and particularly 
in particularly wow that was great uh they mentioned i'm an sat grammar and reading teacher. well you got whomever correct so now you're you're one for two that's still batting 500 yeah yeah just like anthony rizzo for a couple days exactly right i think he's a great case in how um when you're evaluating park factors those are like just like point and click park better yay uh, for players um Riz is a guy who makes a good amount of contact and has a good amount of power but he's not just like irregularly hitting the ball 500 feet and then grounding out slash striking out um you can see like the like the quantity and consistency approach um versus like the the moonshot approach mm-hmm. or like two different ways of going about being a power hitter and um we'll contrast some against some other guys later but whenever you're talking about moving parks the volume tends to mean that like Anthony Rizzo is relatively speaking going to benefit more from moving to a park that scoots the fences in. Um, yeah. You may know that uh, in Yankee Stadium, those fences are going to be really, really nice for lefties. This trade deadline uh, at the end of it all was a really interesting sort of like admission of like failure of process for the Yankees to me. Yeah, and they had to I go agree. out and get two left-handed power hitters because they didn't have any. Right. And they're in a park that benefits them greatly playing in a division that where they face a lot and they have a very relatively speaking right-handed lineup that hasn't been that good that has allowed the opposing teams they faced to just deposit baseballs into right field and they finally decided to do that themselves anthony rizzo is especially compared to joey gallo and we actually saw this from tom petriello mlb.com it's an, the same sort of analysis but the, the long story short is that rizzo is a guy who hits a good deal of balls pulled down the right field line deep enough that playing in Yankee Stadium will change the outcome whether or not they're home runs or not. Right, right. That is a big deal. It's um, a huge deal. And something yeah, that is, yeah. it's it's like glaring that it was absent from their plan and their yeah, roster construction. Yeah. Like that's, you don't usually see, at least I don't think so. You know, we can talk about this stuff till we're blue in the face, but I can't imagine that the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs or the Dodgers, uh, like that we're thinking of something that they're not. Uh, but in this case, it's almost like, what, what were you doing? Like, I, I, like somebody missed the memo or uh, they just were like, oh, this, I don't know. It just, it, it's hard to fathom that an organization like that would miss that having left-handed power in your lineup is going to be tremendously beneficial in that stadium. I, I, I don't know. It just seems so straightforward yeah, and odd that the, they would have missed that. The specifics of it aren't just left-handed power. It's like, we compared to other teams will get more value out of a specific set of players. If we want to maximize our depth and maximize how good our lineup is, we need to find guys who can put the ball into play often in like fly ball situations that maybe aren't hitting at 450 feet. Now they have those guys. Um, Gary Sanchez is the 450 foot hitter. Joey Gallo can be that guy. He's actually hit a whole lot of singles and doubles this year. He's kind of changed his approach. He's been <laughs> a little bit less. It's a whole other discussion. Petriello's analysis was pretty straightforward in that Gallo already hits the ball plenty far. That his home runs are home runs pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, just ask the Oakland A's, who have a park that is very hard to hit it out of <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah, right, right. And, and unless you're Joey Gallo or Matt Olson, it's not a very friendly park for home run hitters. Um, a- anyway, you know, like those two guys, like Gallo's not going to gain a whole lot. They'll probably gain a couple. Rizzo's going to get significantly better in the power department. And if we want to but- translate this fa- to fantasy, and I think I think we all do, right? We talked about this last week with like uh, relievers and how much you'd rise up the rankings. If he's the sort of person who 
let's pace it for this whole season, right? He moves from being a 25 home run hitter to like a 32, 33 home run hitter because of a park change. You know, add in the, the change in RBI, add in maybe the change in runs. Their lineup's admittedly a little bit better than the Cubs was, which is crazy to say. <laughs> We're seeing him like moving five, six bucks up the ranks at least. Um, so that might be the difference between where I current I was like, going into the season was not drafting him at ADP because uh, I, I saw him as like being worth about like the 80 or 90th pick and going toward towards the 50s. He's now prepared to return the value that his actual ADP was yeah, returning. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. So I wasn't really thinking about it just in terms of like the fantasy element. And that that makes a ton of sense. So if you know, being in a Yankee uniform for next year. Uh, I'm sure he's not doing a ton to change his approach midseason, but in the offseason he may. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. and that's that's an important thing to consider. I was thinking it more from the point of view of like Gallo doesn't need to hit any more home runs than he ordinarily would have, even though he probably will a couple. I would imagine, even if probably it's couple. three, four, five, six. Who cares? What, what I, I guess what I'm getting at is. Uh, or what I was talking about before with the Yankees is more of the baseball element, not the fantasy element Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. like, even if he hits zero more than he would have in Texas, it's still a whole heck of a lot more than the right-handed guy at the bottom of their lineup that they were putting (laughs) in instead than of the lefty. Right. I mean, that that's the part where it just kind of blows my mind that, that they went into the season being like, yep, it's cool that we're, we don't really have, have these left-handed people to take advantage of this, this element of our stadium that everybody in the world knows about our stadium. Yeah. I think the way that I would try to put this together is you want to think if your team has a way to get more out of players that other teams don't have access to, you build your entire approach around exploiting that. Right. Um, Yeah. If you have a better scouting director than other teams do it, and you can more accurately um, sign international signings that are people then you're doing everything you can to get in like extra international bonus slot allocation money um if you are way better at like turning pitchers careers around you're actively going out and acquiring those reclamation project pitchers sure and then you're reallocating your resources elsewhere the yankees should be in theory a team that is going out and getting those i can hit a ton of fly balls to right field guys and just filling their bench and filling their like middling outfield spots with them. Um, right. And they're not doing that. They didn't, and they it's didn't just have insane. any. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the part that boggles my mind. Anyway, we can get back to the, I do think that the fantasy piece of this is, is also important and interesting. Uh, and to your point, um, how much extra value might Gallo return f- towards the end of this year? Uh, I would imagine it's more, and and like you said, mm-hmm. it probably justifies maybe where he was being taken. Um, oh, that was but Rizzo I, think, I was talking about. I think, oh, I'm I think sorry, Gallo Rizzo. just rises for the most part because of just like better um, surroundings. Like, yeah, yeah. If he's getting numbers a lot, might he's not score off of more of his walks. Yeah, right. I, I don't think his numbers are going to be like monstrously better than they would have otherwise been. Um, from the fantasy point of view, it was the real baseball point of view I was talking about. So again, let's talk about Rizzo then too. Same idea, right? Uh, if you already have Rizzo, this isn't really changing much for you. Um, I, maybe trade value. I, I don't know. Maybe the Yankee fan in your league really wants him now, <laughs> but I, I don't think overall that impact that's, is enormous. That's a consideration, but these actually. <laughs> these moves that happen where the player isn't just a rental and is going to be making a switch to a different 
place with different dynamics. Um, off-season changes are, are things that they always uh, approach each year. They, they are, they're trying to maximize their benefit to a club, right? I mean, that's what they're trying mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely see the impact of being in a, in a new park um, that's more friendly to a few more of those deep fly balls going out of the yard helping rise the uh, rise raise the uh, the the dollar value of return that you would get if you're pl- plugging this into like fan graphs at the beginning of next year and as part of your your draft prep you're probably going to see that now that then that becomes up to you the player to decide whether or not you want to bake in the level of uh, that fan graphs has in terms of this year versus next year and and that's something we can maybe talk about on a future episode like as we prep for next year and we use tools like the Fangraphs auction calculator, what are some things that you might want to do? I know one of the things that uh, I think you were talking about in this, this previous draft season was like manipulating positional value so that it wasn't skewing things more than you wanted them skewed. So I think Mm -hmm. that would be a pretty valuable future episode for us to do. But in terms of like these new places, what about uh, a different player? We talked a little bit about Javi Baez from like the, what were the Mets doing giving up uh, Pete Crow Armstrong to get him? But like, what is, what is his move to the Mets mean for Javi Baez, the baseball player and Javi Baez, the fantasy asset. So I have, uh, be shocked here. Please be shocked. Yet another tinfoilish <laughs> theory about um, player value here. The Mets are like one of the least um, willing to like run teams in baseball. They have like one of the lowest numbers of uh, stolen bases in baseball this year. Javi Baez it gets a lot of his value from stolen bases. I kind of think he runs less. He's also <laughs> like look hitting kind of close to cleanup-ish. He's mm-hmm. not going to be in positions where he's going to be running so that people can score him as often as he would be if he was batting like leadoff particularly. Right, right, sure. Which he shouldn't be, to be clear. Um, his value is going to be coming from hitting sack flies. And I don't know, he's a strange guy. Um, <laughs> I do not think, though, that his value goes up because of this trade in fantasy all that much. Mm. City Field is also not an exceptionally friendly home run park, and he gets most of his fantasy value from home runs. So I've actually got some worries that you we should be considering the team pr- approach from the Mets in addition to like just like who he is as a player when he moves. Um, and that's a and really that's not just thing. a Javi Baez yeah. thing, right? That's a universal thing that should be con- taken into consideration. I, I don't. I'm sorry, I interrupted you there, but oh yeah, like, you're right. Obviously, though. we talk about a handful of players. We can't talk about every single player in an episode, but please understand that like that is something to be considered with anybody that you're curious about. Like what's the impact? Well, Javi Baez had, where was he, his value? If it was steals and home runs and he's going to a team that doesn't steal, putting him in a lineup spot that doesn't really set him up to be in a position to steal and in a park that that's going to swallow up a handful of home runs. Well, that's probably a net negative. So uh, again, yeah, I know that we're sure. talking about bias here, but this is not just a, a bias approach or way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really interesting to kind of just go look at the major league leaderboards for like who's stealing more often. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Actually, some of the smarter teams in baseball are stealing more these days because I think we're getting a better picture of how to steal effectively. The um, like the proposition of like when you should do it has always been pretty consistent, like if you're able to steal successfully more than 75% of the time, like more than, not like right at 75, but more mm-hmm. than, yeah, that's when you run. Uh, Cause that's like the value return. Okay. 
it, the thing is like a lot of teams have interpreted that as just like in all situations whereas like yeah, yeah, yeah there's right. different situations where stealing has more value but also particularly if you can figure out how to turn someone's speed into more steals than it otherwise would be good scope good coaching good selection you know being smart about it by using data um it, it's kind of like the to draw yet another comparison i'm sure you're super familiar with like the mid-range game in basketball doesn't completely die because of analytics we just have to be smart about when we use it the sure. running game in baseball doesn't have to die because of analytics analytics should inform us about how to run better um, right yeah one way to t- one way to apply data badly is to generalize and learn the wrong lessons one of the ways to do it well is to take a situation where typically teams aren't getting a whole lot of value and figure out a way to get value out of it. So, yeah, I think that the Mets are an interesting case where I feel like they could be doing analytics or whatever, TM, and <laughs> learning how to run better. Because they got some fast players. Uh, yeah. You ever seen Brandon Nimmo run after getting a walk? <laughs> he's actually really fast like uh, he never steals um <laughs> and he gets on base a ton that's, that's the funny example that you you pull for his speed but yeah I, I i mean obviously things that are decision based with an organizational approach that limits the player's ability to make those decisions is going to be a huge impact if you go from a team mm-hmm. that lets you mm-hmm. loose um even if if they let you loose when they shouldn't by what the data says you're still going to get more opportunities you're going to wind up with more bags than going to a place that hasn't bought into the idea that you should steal bases at all um yeah. let's can we talk about Kyle Schwarber for a minute and and the reason oh, I yeah. want to bring him up is because it almost feels like the opposite of what we were talking about with Rizzo and Gallo going to mm-hmm. New York the Red Sox brought in left-handed power hitter that probably should have gone to the Yankees <laughs> into a stadium <laughs> that doesn't really benefit left-handed power. So what's uh, what's your take on, on the Schwarber acquisition for the Red Sox? I just want him to be healthy. Um, mm, like yeah. that's really the biggest determinant like of his value. It's just going to be when he comes back. That's going to matter way more than the park. Um, and I don't think there's any other way to look at that than just like when he comes back, is it part of that? I think he kind of makes for an interesting case of like how we value injuries um, mm-hmm. is that um, when you're um, in someone's lineup and you're not playing the difference between you and like a guy on the waiver wire is like three times as large as the difference between the waiver wire and Mike Trout when he's at peak Mike Trout mode, um, <laughs> not being available and eating up potential PAs for like fantasy teams is a big deal. Um, yeah, like I think that's kind of like the like I just want to like fantasy brain that. Um, okay, but if you have him stashed away on the aisle spot or whatever, you know, like that's not going to matter a whole lot, right? Uh, 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 the bigger thing then is like when he gets back to being healthy, how many home runs or whatever is he going to change? A few. Now, if you actually go and look at the Red Sox, he's probably going to end up in a situation where the result is like him forcing hunter renfro into a platoon question mark or something <laughs> like that or right maybe right. hunter renfro slides over and someone else slides over and someone else slides over and there's some playing time lost there but you know that's the more likely thing now he's gonna play half of his remaining games on the road and he's really good and even if he's just hitting doubles off the monster or whatever and then kyle kyle shore bring himself to first base and not to second <laughs> um he's still gonna be like a valuable asset to a team that wants to win also, they didn't like dramatically overpay for him or anything. No, right? no, no, no. So yeah. I that was kind of my my thing. Like, what, what, what about the market pushed the Sox to make this deal? Do you think that that like they felt some pressure to do something instead of nothing? And this was like a 
relatively inexpensive opportunity to um, to make fans feel like they did something that you know with a guy who can hit the ball it can be an exciting player with a name that they're gonna know uh, or was there something else to this do you think I think that this is definitely kind of like a statement of intent without a whole lot of extra stuff going on there. Um, a good one. And at that also, like I like the move for them, even mm-hmm. if he's not like a maximized by the park sort of dude, um, somebody has got to play for you. And uh, notably like, yeah, there's the pesky pull, but right field is not exactly all that kind either in, in, in a uh, fun way. No, like, it's, it's left terrible. Field is great for getting base hits. Um, Schreiber will be on base a fair amount. And he's also always been a pretty good like guy being on base. He actually could be a really interesting leadoff hitter. And have you seen who's been leading off <laughs> for the Red Sox this season? <laughs> it's just been whoever plays second, essentially, regardless of how yeah. it's been really confusing. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's terrible. Um, at, at the end of the day, I think it'll it'll be fine. Um, it it and- seemed like kind of a, a weird like splashy move that wasn't splashy at all. I don't know. It's just interesting. I, I'm not I'm not like giving it the thumbs down. I'm, I'm genuinely just curious as to what you think went into the decision-making process. So that, that's the only angle I'm taking. It's the sort of thing where like um, the amount of value that it could get them back. Should they make the playoffs? Like the amount better it could make them in the long run could be really big um, without giving a whole lot. And that's the bigger thing is like, they're not supposed to be winning this year. They didn't make the off-season commitments to being really good this year in the same right, way that right. other teams may have. So it's a sort of like low-risk, potentially really great reward. You know, those sort of like, I'm currently hurt sort of guys. I mean, if he's healthy in the playoffs, he's healthy in the playoffs, and that's all that matters. Right. And um, I think also like, you know, I, I'm not all that worried about park factors in the real baseball version in this case exclusively because it hasn't been a glaring weakness otherwise. Um, okay. And when we, when we talk about Rizzo and all that, really, it's just to talk about we're confused by other approach and, and they decided to do the right thing. Finally. <laughs> so, you know, like for um for Schwarbert, even if it goes against him, it's not going to go against him in a way that gets him out. Right. OK. And outs are bad. Yeah. Right. Right. It's right. It's going to go against him in a way that gets him less dingers. Yeah. yeah. OK. Well, so, that makes sense. So the real baseballness of it kind of is different from the fantasy baseballness of it. All right, perfect. No, I think that was very well said. Um, all right, I want to move into pass fail, and I want to talk about this just briefly. Really, the impetus for this was uh, uh, some Twitter exchange that I had today with our friend Max Greenfield and, and a couple other people jumping in. Uh, and and really, I think it's an interesting topic because, uh, and I'll, I'll explain why from my point of view, and then I'll let you kind of say your piece and tell me whether you think the luxury tech system is a pass or a fail. And we still have the off the books that I really want to get to. So we'll run a little long. That's fine. Uh, hopefully those of you who are listening can hang with us for the, the extra extended time today. Um, we were talking about the the way that the the teams like the Dodgers apparently are kind of like blowing through the stop sign. And, um, and the different opinion of that being good or bad, like for me, um, I, I don't really love any of these systems that seem to be set up to benefit the owners and exploit the players. And I understand that there's a level of that to this system, um, that when you're limiting upside earning potential with a luxury tax system, that that's at, at the macro level, not great for player salaries. I tend to think though, that that's, that's, 
hindering maybe the upper echelon, the the one percenters of of the elite, the the baseball players uh, at the very top. But my big thing here with with teams like the Dodgers blowing through that stop sign is that it it seems to, while it doesn't violate the language of the law, right? The the there's penalties and there's consequences and they're willing to suffer them. It does, to my mind, violate the spirit of what Major League Baseball was trying to do, which is implement something because they're never going to get a hard salary cap through the CBA um, to do something that stopped the the kind of behavior that we're seeing from the Dodgers right now or the Yankees of, of yore yeah, or even know, the Red I, Sox. I imagine like the, the Mark Teixeira uh, Yankees. I think that's like right, the exact exactly one right. I'm thinking of. So like the era that I'm kind of thinking about is like the post Kirby Puckett. I, I remember being a kid and, and that was a huge signing. The, the money he signed for was splashy. And I kind of feel like that sort of set the ball rolling in terms of an era of spending. So like the Kirby Puckett to when the luxury tax was implemented era of baseball there really was uh, there there may have been the pop-up team here and there that made it look like there was more parity but there was only a handful of teams that were always in it and there were a handful of teams that were never in it and I feel like the Dodgers setting the precedent of just blowing through that that ceiling that was set up to try and curb that is just bringing us maybe more uh, are bringing us back more towards that type of thing, which I don't think is good for the game. Now, I understand the flip side is if it starts a spending spree, then the players might start to actually get the contracts that they deserve. But I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's helping the middle relievers or the minor leaguers. I think that's just helping the Bryce Harpers and the Mike Trouts get bigger deals. So I don't know. I was pretty torn. I, I, I took a pretty firm stance, I think, with what I was saying in terms of like, I think it's bad when teams just kind of violate the spirit of this and blow through it. Um, but I'm willing to also admit that the system itself has flaws and is is kind of an owner-benefit system, which is something I definitely don't like. So I'm very interested. Uh, you weighed in a little bit on it, uh, yeah. but um, yeah. I I'm interested to hear you elaborate here. on it a little bit more. Yeah, I yeah. think you set the stage here pretty accurately between, I think, the sort of like different things that I think are pretty much where we're at. Uh, mm-hmm. The negative here is like, I think for the most part, you know, like if if it's pretty easy to violate the spirit of the law, then you probably need to do something. Uh, it's probably a bad law. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Uh, then you have made some sort of decision at some point that probably needs to be changed. Uh, the question for me, though, is like, is wh- what is really the spirit of the law? Is the spirit of the law that we shouldn't have one team that can do this or that we shouldn't be able to have six teams that could be able to do this? The reality of our sport right now, I think, is like, count them up. Like, the the Dodgers can do this. The Yankees can do this. The Red Sox can and have done this. Yeah, um, definitely. Successfully in the past. The Astros right now are in position to do this next year and are currently, because of the way the letter of the law is written, keeping themselves underneath the luxury tax this year so they can go over it next year. Um, yeah. I think the Mets could if you do tally this now. It, yeah, then the Mets should be doing this sooner than later. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the long run of this is that you know the Padres will probably do this at some point even like if they could because they're gonna get enough tickets and their 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 local TV deal is uh, not terrible and they're probably going to improve because right, of, like right. what they've done like also there are many teams that can spend over the luxury tax and the way I look at it is that um, you should have a system whereby the richest teams in the sport. Um, can operate at that top level and really flex their muscle 
if it benefits the players. Uh, I don't want a situation where the Yankees have, you know, let's say, for example, $600 million in revenue and pay out $200 million in payroll because everyone else is only allowed to do a certain amount. Um, and sure. the way that that works then is I think you, the, the problem is that the MLB doesn't have a salary floor. Um, mm-hmm. If we had a salary floor, um, then there'd be more incentive for more of the sorts of deals that uh, shed high salary players to low salary teams. And, and that's kind of like how the NBA works. I think I talk about all the time about how the NBA is a really like well-administered league financially. Um, it's actually interesting. The MLB pays out a greater proportion of its total revenues to players, just pays them out kind of as you described it, very much in the Bryce Harper's making a lot of money. And uh, a couple other people are going to make a whole lot more money this right, offseason. Right. It's like, who's the best shortstop in baseball uh, right now? Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. signed an extension, which will not, by the way, pay him most of like the huge gobs of money that he's going to make from that extension for another several years because he's on his rookie deal. Yeah, right. A lot of the other best players in baseball right now, like Juan Soto is barreling towards an extension, is not being paid very much money right now. Um, yeah, right. That's kind of how you're, the league runs. You're, the luxury tax has not stopped or incentivized um, teams to avoid exploiting young talent. I mean, and that. So I don't know. I I I I don't think that taking that luxury system away is going oh, to no. see dollars filter down to the places where they need to be. They're just gonna be able to go out and you know the. You're just not gonna see any stars ever signing with even even maybe even the top mid-level team I, I just i don't even see the padres having been able to do what they've done with their talent and their moves and all of that to build themselves into the position they were in if that's, signing, for if example. That, yeah if that system was not in place because he wouldn't have gone there um yeah i i think uh, i think i'm with you in general about like we need to make sure that we present a system that gives you know, the teams that are uh, somewhere between 10 and 20 in revenue, a regular shot at when their window opens, fully going for it. Um, and I don't think the the luxury tax is getting in the way of that. I think replacing it with a salary cap, like a hard cap like the NFL, probably wouldn't fix that either. Hmm. But again, I think the bigger problem in terms of like what we should care about is pretty much always going to be salary floor. We get so many more, by the way, interesting deadline moves. If yeah. guys like Eric Hosmer had a particular reason for teams like the tigers or someone to want to acquire him because they have to make a salary floor and if they don't do it then all of their other players just got a raise like that's what mm. works in the nba you have to be okay. at a certain level of the salary cap or else everybody just makes more money anyway and you don't save the money okay so now, yeah you're totally incentivized of, to spend yeah, it yeah. yeah now now what gets in the way of that um well and, and this is kind of like the point that i think is the biggest thing is like yeah, there's CBA negotiations regularly. The MLBPA's most recent negotiation to, for like the last CBA, not the current iteration, not the current players who are like doing things. Like the things that they bargained for and cared about uh, were a lot of small potatoes, like a lot of just like amenities, if you will. They're like, hey, we're willing to seed ground on a lot of different issues. If you're willing to get us some nicer team hotels and improve our clubhouse food and stuff like that, mm. rather than, hey, we're going to go on strike if you don't make it so the players in the minor leagues don't pay their entire salary to the team hotels or right. You know, right. So that the, the rookie on our team who just got called up pay, get, gets paid like 
and you know, like, really, I think the reality is like the minimum salary for the relievers who are getting traded around constantly and having their lives just uprooted constantly isn't like enough that like when they retire in a couple of years, they're out of money. Yeah, that's where yeah, we're yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. Right. Those guys make the league possible, and you know, yeah. Here's now, there so, is something you brought up earlier that I, I want to circle back to because I think this might actually be uh, a driving force between my different perspective on this and, and some other people. And um, and maybe it is a little bit generational. And that is that it, I guess if you're uh, somebody who roots for players and talent, you don't really care what team they're on and you don't care what team they win with. Whereas for me, I'm thinking about this like, okay, the Detroit Tigers or uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates fan base, right? Um, we, you, wanna, you want the Pirates to at least be able to feel the team that's, that's, that they feel like has a chance. And, and when there was no luxury tax system, like they just never did. Um, so I, I can also understand that. And that was not something I had considered before, that if you're more of a, I don't care what team Tatis Jr. is playing for, I just want to watch him win a World Series, then you... Really, you're watching it from your couch in your living room. Who cares geographically where he's doing that? I can understand why that would maybe lead you to say, like, just get rid of the luxury tax, blow through it, spend as much money as possible, blow it off, because who cares if they're small market teams? I'm rooting for big market players. So I can understand that, too. Yeah, uh, that's not where I I'm at with it, but I get it. quite where I'm at either, but I do kind of get that point of view, and I don't think it's far off from where I am. Um, I would say it's like I'm going to cheer for my local team, and I want, like, you know, I, I believe in baseball teams as like public amenities, essentially, mm, right? Yeah, I think of them yeah, as yeah. like a local product, and I want my local community's product to be good because I want kids to play baseball. And, you know, right, I, I want right. people to be able to go to baseball games. So that's And I want them to enjoy them, not just when the Yankees are in town. Yeah, right. The way that I consume baseball, though, does not always work that way because that is not always a reality. Right. And I think that's part of it. Um, though, you know, my, my perfect world is, you know, we got a salary floor and we have like, a progressively more strict salary cap system where you know like you can go over it a little bit and the penalties aren't that harsh and you go over it by a bit more or by a bit more often and it's harsher i think though like and i think this is kind of the point i made online is that the dodgers um have enough money and they make enough in revenue based off of where the current salary cap air not salary cap you know yeah luxury right. tax Threshold, line is though yeah. that, that it's just it can just be the cost of doing business and if they're losing international allocation money, and if they're losing draft picks to win two World Series in three years or whatever, or three and four, yeah, or whatever it. it comes to, yeah, you know, it's worth it to them, right? Um, and they should do it because that's how the rules are currently written. Sure. And the thing that I think is more dangerous than parity being threatened by one or two teams really gunning for it, because right now I don't think parity is being threatened. We have a really interesting situation where no, there no. are a lot of teams who could do it. I the agree, big, I, but I think yeah. the luxury tax uh, tax has brought uh, the number of years we've had it has brought us to this point and i'm not sure that it's as easy to draw the straight line between those two things but i do think that there's a, a large influence there now 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 here's what i think is kind of like the puzzle piece that has changed things the dodgers ownership group being a very large ownership group that is very kind of hedge fundy mm. where it's not just like one inherited wealth dude who's making some miserly decisions that's part of it the padres are acting very much as a go for it team the yankees have this tradition blah 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 but yeah. like, we're seeing a lot of the the competition a lot of things that are really interesting driven by really wealthy like units that are finally seeing how the game is played and playing it correctly rather than just kind of like hanging their money the problem with the luxury tax i think is when teams use it as an excuse to not spend rather than 
when teams blow through it. We have sure. not typically had worse off situations when they've blown through it. I, I and I can I can admit that there is an element there that especially from the player side that that perhaps I was not considering uh, before. Um, all right, well you know shoot us emails, send us some some uh, some tweets there about what you're thinking uh, there at home about all of this. I think it's a really important discussion that shouldn't just pop up around the trade deadline. I think these are the things and the elements of baseball that really do impact your enjoyment of the game. Um, whether it's your team or your player, the on-field product, the strategies, all of that. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to keep this conversation going. We can we can certainly do that online. Let's talk about off the books, and this is another one of those kinds of uh, business of baseball and how rules work, and it's related to the draft and uh, and the the Mets and not signing uh, Rocker Kumar Rocker. Um, there's a lot of moving parts going on here, and I am going to admit ahead of time, I'm not sure that I fully comprehend or understand all of them. I'm not sure if all of the reporting has been 100% accurate. Uh, I believe that the reporters are reporting things they're hearing. I just don't know if that's actually what happened behind the scenes. There's potential injury stuff going on. I'm going to try and set the stage here for you, uh, Alexander. You correct anything you think I get wrong here, please, because it's it's about honestly. If I get something a little bit wrong, I don't want that misinformation out there. Um, and then also, kind of your take on it. Uh, from my understanding, there's the the pre-draft physicals. Uh, Rocker chose not to participate. Um, again, my understanding is that for high draft picks, it's not that unusual because it doesn't usually dissuade teams from drafting them. So this wasn't just like a Scott Boris being Scott Boris thing or rocker necessarily hiding something or being sketchy. It's kind of like the MO of, of top level draft picks that are just kind of like, yeah, yeah I'm not yeah, doing yeah. that. Right. So, but that did happen. Now, when that happens, the team, uh, if they don't sign that player, um, would would still get their compensatory pick right, right. because because they didn't the, the player didn't participate in the physical so the oh, how no, this no, no, play no. this is bigger than that I, oh i, I know well, i'm not would, yeah you know actually no i want to say like that that rule kind of applies in more cases do, do you remember when the astros didn't sign mark appel uh, he was the number two overall pick. I remember the name, Mark Appel. Yeah. yeah. This is like 2012, question mm-hmm. mark? It could be wrong. Somewhere around then, they had like one of the top overall picks, and he doesn't sign with them. Yeah. They end up getting that pick back, essentially, the next right, year, and you just right. get to pick twice in the same draft. And, like, yeah, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So, so they'll just have but, the same pick next year. But if if he had taken that physical, right, and, and uh, they didn't work it out, they wouldn't have gotten, if they didn't make the offer, because this is the the next piece of it. The the there was reporting that came out that once the Mets the Mets had kind of floated an offer, but once they they didn't get the medicals, they just never made another offer. Now, normally, if they don't make an offer of a certain percentage to slot in this circumstance, they would lose the compensatory pick. But because he didn't take the physical, they didn't have to make the offer and can still get the pick. So the question becomes like. Did the Mets really ever even plan on uh, making the offer or were they using the fact that they knew he didn't take this physical as an opportunity to just get this pick next year? Now, the question then becomes, why do that? Why bother? Uh, why waste the pick? Um, and, and I guess the answer could be something about money or strategy. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But it, it brings me to this. This is my point uh, of the whole thing. Um, now, Rocker 
can't do anything with Major League Baseball for a year. Whereas the Mets will basically get this pick again next year, plus the pick they already had. So the organization is damaged like very little, and the player is damaged a whole heck of a lot. Where the that puts the pressure then on the player to take a bad deal, and not the billionaire's owner, the billionaire owners to to have to sign the player. So that's that's where it's sticky for me. That's where I really don't like this at all. If I have my facts straight, um, because I you know whether or not he's injured uh, and is hiding something like that's all remains to be seen. And if he is, sure, the Mets aren't going to invest in that. But the system again, talking just about the system seems to be set up where teams are damaged, like not at all for doing this kind of thing. And the player is damaged a whole heck of a lot. I mean, an entire year of professional play and development and being with a team and and an organization, that's a big deal. So um, again, please correct anything that I said that you think is a little off or or inaccurate. And uh, I'm very interested in your take on this. Uh, And then obviously the Stephen Cohen tweet that came out afterwards (laughs) as a follow-up to this, where I, I think he thought he was defending himself and it really wasn't. So go ahead. I, I'll stop talking now. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you're totally right about like everything you said. The, the other angle of this that he particularly brings up that I think is kind of galling is he basically says, you know, like the slots are worth like five times more than the players themselves or something like that. Let's take yeah. like, the conclusion. Yeah, yeah. I've got the that, quote basically. here. Uh, what he actually tweeted out. He said, education time, baseball <laughs> draft picks, are, which was like, oh, I'm going to stop for a second, which by the way is such a jerky way of, of starting this. It just yeah. is like, oh, I'm yeah. so much did, smarter. Did he go to he's, like, he's a smart dude. He's made billions of dollars. Yeah. Fine. But like, come on, man. Anyway, did, Ed, did he go did, to like the classes where all of the other like billionaire owners teach each other how to be billionaire owners? That Yeah. It's like things? the opposite of manor school. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, education time. Baseball draft picks are worth up to five times their slot value to clubs. I never shy away from investments that can make that type of return, which he thought was a defense of, I well, obviously I tried to make this happen. Why would I walk away from it? But really it's an indictment of just how exploited these players are. And, and I, like he didn't even get it. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No. So that's kind of like the admission though, that, right. In terms the quiet of like part the amount, out loud. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's like someone like Kumar Rocker, and not exactly him. Let's set aside all of the particulars here because sure. I actually think they're kind of less interesting than like the long run. This dude just acquired a new team and has gobs and gobs and gobs of money that he and his family and his grandkids and great grandkids will never be able to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the way that it works then is that he's going to generate more potential profit for his team by four or five times than these players are work and worth and that's the way that the league operates and he's just right. said it out loud um in particular though it's kind of weird to think of it though that like before a player is even signed just the uh, the rights to continue to operate the system and that's what it is just like the ability to continue to just play play owner will mm-hmm. debt you a bunch of money you don't have to make choices just the potential for it is itself worth so much money and I don't think we operate the sport that way. You know, it's like we don't think like how much is Casey Mize worth? You know, he's the number one overall pick a couple of years ago. And he's right. been kind of like Mize planned by the Tigers, as they're kind of calling it, where they're like <laughs> instead of the Strasburg plan where they just shut you down. He's been like turned into like a long reliever every five days mm. to protect an asset. 
that's right. worth a lot for them in the future whenever their window and their value is aligned. And it's all really kind of weird to hear people described as assets or uh, investments. Right. But also, like, the reality of it is is that the way that they run their league with the luxury tax considerations as well doesn't work if you don't have a system where someone like Kumar Rocker gets paid a couple million dollars, maybe. Not all of them do. Um, a lot of the guys right. who go in the top 10 get paid under slot, and that's part of team's plan. You know, they get that money, and that's, like, most of what they'll make for the first five, six, seven years they play professionally. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, that's that's the system, is that your best players, if they're super talented, will get paid a signing bonus, essentially, for the first five to six years they play potential uh, professional baseball. And then maybe three, four years in, they get paid $600,000 a year. Yeah, which is, I mean, and now, now this player is missing out on his first year of being able to do even that. So when he starts again next year, uh, it's going to be at the beginning. Like, I just don't understand why you draft somebody. It's not like the rumors of, of his health weren't out there. Like, what, what information did the Mets not have? Just that they didn't get this physical report, that they knew they wasn't out there? I, I, I just, I can't wrap my head around why they did this. And I think... Um, even though this doesn't happen all that often, what it does is it, it, it it's a case that shows the flaws of the system and and highlights, especially given uh, Cohen's comments in that tweet, uh, that baseball is is and has always been built on the exploitation of its players, especially early on. You know, we see these huge contracts being signed by, by you know, like I said, the Harpers and the Trouts of the world. Even Tatis's deal is probably way under market for what he would have yeah, gotten, the side of it, right? Like, it, and so at every turn, yeah, like, there's this most exploitation. Of the guys who are, yeah, most of the guys who are like really, really, really valuable for the years they are most valuable, they're dramatically underpaid. For the first few years, a guy hits his like actual free agent years. He's maybe still underpaid. Uh, like you can think of like, I mean, Max Scherzer signed this mm-hmm. like six year hundred like two hundred million dollar contract. He was underpaid for most of that relative to how good he was. Those contracts are like 10, 12 years long because for you're basically getting paid for five or six of them, and then the rest of it they're just continuing to pay you out while you continue to play baseball. Like that's how that works is that like um, when Lindor signs his deal in theory, he's worth it for like Mookie Betts, right? He signs his like 12 right, year long, right, right. $300, million, $300 plus million dollar deal. He's worth 50, $60 million a year for the team for like the front half of it. And then, you know, like $10 million a year for like the back half of that on average. So like, yeah, like you have to basically sign away the rest of your career to a club in order to get paid out what's your, what you're worth. That's the only way that things work. And it, it doesn't happen for most of the players. It happens for a handful, yeah. comparatively speaking. And um, I don't know. It just, it, it, I, I feel like these these systems of baseball, um, they're, they're either set up <laughs> to, to exploit players and, and player talent, or the ones like the luxury tax that was kind of, I really do think that it was set up to try and create parity in the league. Uh, yeah, yeah, is, can be explo- can, that system can then be exploited in ways that aren't good for players too. Like it, it's just it's very very frustrating. We got two examples there of, of what this can look like. Again, I know that this rocker situation is not common, 
but that doesn't mean that it's not the same exact system all these players are going through. And, yeah, and maybe yeah. this sort of thing on a smaller scale and in other situations is happening more than we realize. And it's just happening with mm-hmm. not with first round players or um, or, or players that had as much of a spotlight on them. I mean, obviously, Rocker and, and Lighter had a lot of spotlight. Social media played a huge role in that. So. I don't know. I, it just it, it rubs me the wrong way that that this worked out the way that it did. Now, if Rocker was was like trying to hide an injury, that's not great either. Like I get that, and I understand the Mets not wanting to invest in that. But at the same time, the Mets aren't punished for for kind of messing with this kid's development. So, I, I, and and he is big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I mean it's it's all pretty straightforward at the end of the day, and that's what sucks. Yeah. Well, on that note, that's going to bring us to the end of this uh, extra long, extra large sized episode of Dugout Study Hall. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us for the ride. Uh, Alex, obviously, thank you for being a part of this, uh, as always. And if you could let the people at home know where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at The Corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore Rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherlist podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.